Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, my very special guest is Larissa Strath. Larissa, thank you for joining me. Hi, Wayne. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Okay, so Larissa has her BSc degree in pre-medical biology that was back in 2016. Throughout her university days, she played soccer. And now she's down in Alabama um, in Birmingham, where she's in a neuroscience doctoral program. In fact, um, studying alongside um, uh, alongside a professor in the area of the immune system and diet modulation of pain and addiction. So thank you so much, Larissa. Um, let's go back in time and just tell us where you grew up and where did you go to college? Well, I grew up in a town just about an hour north of Toronto called Barrie, Ontario. And I lived there until I graduated high school and went to university in the States. And then in 2012, I went to Montgomery, Alabama, Faulkner University. And as you said, I pursued a soccer scholarship. So that's kind of how I ended up from one end of the uh, continent to the other. And so I played varsity soccer for four years and I got to be captain one year. So that was really cool and just met a lot of really great people and lifelong friends there. So, and like you said, I'm now at UAB um, in the behavioral and neuroscience program. Okay. So what made you take an interest in the world of pain management? I was diagnosed with celiac disease actually when I was younger. So food's impact on health has always kind of been a topic of importance to me and my family, even before I decided to, you know, make a career out of it. So I knew I really wanted to go into healthcare as well, but I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. Um, But one thing that's common among all practices is pain. So I thought having an understanding of, you know, what pain is and where science is at in terms of understanding it and treating it would be very beneficial to whatever I decided to do. And that was when I met my mentor, Rob Sorge, who convinced me to stay in the South a little bit longer. And it was kind of like the stars were aligning because he was already getting into dietary and immune modulation of pain. And that was exactly what I wanted to kind of get my hands on. So it was, it was perfect. So Larissa and I met up at the Boston World Pain Congress just two months ago, where she was presenting a poster on her research. So do you want to share, Larissa, what this research is about? At the Boston World Pain Congress, I presented our recent study on the effect of a low-carbohydrate diet on pain in oxidative stress in adults with knee osteoarthritis. So the reason we picked knee osteoarthritis is because it's one of the leading causes of disability among adults, one of the most common chronic pain conditions. I mean, it's almost at one in two people are going to 
have some degree of it in their life. So it's a very universal disorder. And the only cure is knee replacement. And that's very invasive. And some people aren't old enough and they have to, you know, kind of manage this pain in the meantime, and unfortunately have to rely on a lot of pain drugs, which have a host of other side effects, and I'm sure you could do an entire podcast on in itself. So we decided to start to look at what could possibly be causing the pain, obviously, other than bone-on-bone contact and inflammation. And given my background in chemistry and biology, uh, we decided to look at oxidative stress. And a lot of people don't really know what that is. It sounds like really complicated, but it's not quite so complicated. But for those who aren't aware of what that is, it's an imbalance between free radicals and antioxidants in the body. And everybody's heard of antioxidants and know that they're important but aren't really sure why they're important. And this is why they're important. So free radicals are oxygen-containing molecules, and they have an uneven number of electrons. And this uneven number allows them to easily react with other molecules, no matter what kind of molecule they are. And they can cause these chemical reactions in your body called oxidation, and they can eventually cause a lot of issues, including pain and inflammation, and are also known to contribute to other diseases as well, such as cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So one thing that oxidative stress can be influenced by is your diet, and specifically carbohydrates. So research has shown that your body can't deal with an overwhelming amount of carbohydrates, and its reaction is going to be creating oxidative compounds. And for us, we primarily looked at advanced glycation end products or age compounds. So knowing that those compounds can cause oxidative stress and inflammation, and knowing that you can control that systemically with your diet, theoretically, if you lowered your intake of carbohydrates, you should see some sort of pain relief. That was the theory going into it. So that's exactly what we tested. So we put these people on different diets. We had them on a low carbohydrate diet. We had them on a calorie reduced diet. And then we also had our control group. Um, And we tested functional and experimental pain. So we actually brought them in and evoked pain in the laboratory. So we did things like asking them to sit down and stand up without using their hands. And if you can imagine having knee osteoarthritis, that's very painful. And we also did things by testing their temporal summation, which is where we take a filament and kind of tap the patella. And again, having knee osteoarthritis, that's very painful. But we also asked them a bunch of questions on questionnaires to report their pain when they're not in the lab. So pain when they're walking up and down the stairs, when they're getting in and out of the car, how much does that pain interfere with their life? How much does it interfere with their ability to live normally. And as well as we looked at depression and anxiety, because if you're in chronic pain, you're probably not going to be very happy about it. (laughs) So we wanted to look at that as well. And then we also periodically took blood to measure biomarkers for inflammation and oxidative stress. So that's kind of the overview of what we did with with this study. Well, lots of information. Yes. So I'm really (laughs) glad that you brought this subject up because I think I've been aware for quite some time the role of um, carbohydrates and what happens in the body and uh, they can break down into these N-glycation products or just Mm -hmm. basic sugar molecules, maybe just a want of a better word, and how they can remain in the body. But I hadn't really read or uh, known about the direct correlation 
with pain, you know, yes, mm-hmm. with weight, yes, with fluid retention and maybe diabetes, as you mentioned, cardiovascular disease. But I'm thrilled that you're actually studying this with your professor. And mm-hmm. um, sounds like the study was very comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this study basically went for on for how many months or years? So they just were on this diet for 12 weeks. Okay. They wanted to see if cause this was a very kind of exploratory study because like you said it's not really been looked at in terms of pain really so we wanted to see if there was just a difference at all so we just were like let's just try it for 12 weeks and see if we get get something because if we can get it in 12 weeks we'll be able to get it in years so yeah okay so what were the results there so uh, the results were really really astounding so everyone we put on a diet either the calorie reduced or the low carbohydrate diet lost weight as expected. And, you know, one would assume that when you lose weight, you would have less pain on the knee joint. And that's true. But the variability between how much each group lost was not significant, which for us was a very good thing because there was only this kind of pronounced effect on pain in the low carbohydrate group. So it told us that it wasn't just weight loss, it was diet quality playing a role in the outcomes of the study. So the low carbohydrate group significantly reduced those experimental pain scores. So those things I was talking about when we had them stand up and sit down multiple times, we saw increased quality of life scores, improved depression and anxiety scores, and also decreased pain interference scores. And, you know, clinically, just talking to these people, you know, they seemed a lot happier over the course of the 12 weeks. And then also they would express, you know, you know, I can, you know, I can go longer, on longer walks with my wife and, you know, I can spend more time playing around in the, the yard with my grandkids. So it, the pain wasn't interfering as much. And a lot of them said that they had actually decreased the amount of pain medication that they had to take over the course of the 12 weeks. But the blood was what told the whole story because we knew it was reducing pain, but we didn't quite know why. So it didn't show a lot of changes in inflammation. Um, We kind of have some theories as to why we didn't see much change in inflammatory markers, mainly because this is a chronic state of inflammation and it may take longer than 12 weeks to see a significant change in the body's regulation of those inflammatory markers. What we did see was an impressive drop in the amount of systemic oxidative stress in the low carbohydrate participants. So that to us was very awesome because that kind of just went along with our theory. When we correlated those oxidative stress changes and those pain changes, we found a direct correlation between the reduction of oxidative stress and the reduction of pain intensity scores. So the lower the oxidative stress, the lower the pain score. Like I said, clinically, many patients were very excited about the fact that they could do things again. They could carry groceries in from the car. Things that you don't quite think about as a non-pain person, you kind of take those for granted. But what we did is we parsed it apart as well by sex. And we saw that the females were generally driving the effect. So they got more benefit from the diet. Now, we're not exactly sure why. That's kind of a future question to answer. We don't know if they followed the diet better. We don't know if there's something different biochemically happening in their body. But that was just something that we thought was very interesting, was that women drove the positive results. Okay. So, and how much weight loss was actually lost on average for these groups? 
compared to the control? I would probably say anywhere between five to 10 kilograms in those 12 weeks because the weight loss wasn't the primary goal. So we didn't try and push that on them because a lot of people were like, oh, I'll do this for my weight loss. And we're like, please don't focus on that too much because <laughs> that's not what this is about. So we knew they were going to lose weight, but we had to make sure that they did it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, you know, about 11, 12 pounds for those in the other metrics, so uh, <laughs> which many people can relate to. So yeah, amazing. So you lose 10 pounds or so, and then not only are we helping our weight, but we're helping our joints, and we're helping our pain, and we're helping our function. So essentially, that's what the, the low-carbohydrate diet is meaning for our patients. So all the more reason to look at what we consume for our mm-hmm. diet, and I'm sure many of us know that this is you know, one of the big food groups that needs to be addressed in order to tackle weight and amazingly pain as well. So mm-hmm. thank you for doing this research. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. It's very, very interesting. So that's one area. Now, are you involved in other studies right now that along the same lines? Along the same lines, I would say we have a bunch in the works right now. For my dissertation, I want to take what we learned from this study and kind of expand on it and look at, you know, sex differences and also racial differences because there's so much variability between races as well when it comes to pain and pain conditions. And there's different ethnic group diets. So seeing if those race-specific diets are having an effect on the pain variability that we see in these populations. I have worked also on studies here in the neuroinflammation pain and fatigue lab doing fibromyalgia and LPS induced kind of pain states just to watch the immune system response with fibromyalgia. And we're interested to try this diet in fibromyalgia patients to see if it would have an effect on their overall you know, pain function mood that kind of stuff as well. Okay, so I look forward to hearing about that in the future. Mm-hmm. And what about so other dietary modifications? Is, have you read any so research studies on this subject matter that could help our audience? I think to put it in the best, most easiest way to understand is the more colorful, the better. One thing that I've learned just from reading and taking classes and you know picking experts' brains are the more colorful your plate is, the better. And it's the easiest way to conceptualize to someone. So don't have mashed potatoes and gravy and cabbage cabbage and, you know, things that are very, (laughs) things that are very, you know, bland looking and you look at your plate and it's just kind of, have some tomatoes and some asparagus and some beets and some of all these other different things as well. Because one, it's more appealing to your eye, and two, it's more appealing to your body as well. So to sum up what I've read, the more colorful, the better. Yeah, and obviously a high proportion of vegetables is what we're talking about, and also yeah. fruits, like salad, half the plate could be a salad. The yeah. other thing you said, too, is those staying, avoiding as much as possible you can, you know, saturated fats and animal fats. I eat meat, but I try and stay, you know, more towards chicken and turkey as opposed to eating, you know, a ribeye steak every night. So, so kind of staying away from saturated fats, being a large percentage of 
your dietary intake of fat and sticking more towards those unsaturated fats, things like monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. Okay. So what are a few examples of these unsaturated fats? When I asked my teacher the best way to kind of differentiate the two, saturated fats are generally found from animal products. So things like butter, there's saturated fats in milk and, you know, to a degree, you know, you need all these things, but it's when your body gets overwhelmed. But when you look at your mono and poly unsaturated fats, they're more from a vegetable derivative. So in things like vegetable oil, avocados are a great source of unsaturated fats. Nuts and seeds are also very good. And the other thing that isn't exactly, it's not a plant source, but you know, you've heard all about your omega-3s and your omega-6s is fish. So fish have as a, a great source of omega-3s. Omega-3s are also being studied in terms of helping people with chronic pain as well. So increasing those and kind of decreasing the butter and the, the steak a little bit. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so let's change direction a little bit. So what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your career? The biggest challenge, I think, personally, is the imposter syndrome because I'm young and I don't say this to be like, oh, she's only 24 and look at all that she's doing. And I say that in the sense that it's hard to have confidence in your abilities when you're dealing with people of who are your senior by a few years and have a lot more experience than you. Um, it can be very intimidating and very scary. So just you know, reminding myself, I know what I'm talking about. You're fine. Um, you're smarter than you think. Uh, and just making sure to positively affirm myself is my biggest challenge probably right now. And I'm lucky to have a lot of great mentors who tell me it never goes away. They, you just get better at dealing with it. So, <laughs> so that would probably be my personal biggest challenge right now. Now, other than, you know, completing a dissertation and graduating and finding a job. Yes. Mm -hmm. Imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So you went for me. I haven't heard it described like that before. Yep. So, uh, okay. Kind of on the back of what you were talking about, to be honest, but what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is when you don't know what to do next, think about what you do know and go from there. And that advice has gotten me more places and more results than I think any other piece of advice in my entire life. And it kind of was what inspired a lot of this research because, you know, we saw these reductions in pain and we didn't quite understand how to explain it. And so we said, okay, well, we don't know what to do next. Well, what do we do know? We know that oxidative stress can cause pain and we know that food can cause oxidative stress. So let's look at oxidative stress, <laughs> that kind of thing. So when you're really not sure where to go, and especially when you're in a field where a lot of it is just shooting into the dark and hoping that you hit something, going back to what you do know as being the truth, um, I think is a very, very good way to go. Mm. Excellent. Great advice. Thanks for that. So what would you like to share that you haven't already done so? I would love to just take the, the moment to convince people that the journey to recovery is a process that takes time and many methods of treatment. And it's not just taking a magic pill and, you know, that's it. My dad always tells us at the dinner table that we, you know, we live in a world of instant gratification. You know, we've got Amazon Prime and we've got our phones and we can just Google something when we want to figure it out right at the dinner table. And all these things are great. And I, I use them all the time too, but it's almost wired 
us to believe that our health situations need to be fixed fast. And, you know, you see it when you have people come in for your studies, you know, they want to be on this diet for a week and then they want to feel better. And it's like, well, you're going to have to give it a little bit of time, wait a little bit longer. So I think we need to be able to parse out that from situations and events that need to take time and have that delayed gratification and to understand that, you know, even a small step forward, even though it's not huge, it's still a step forward. That's, I think, one thing that I'd like to share. One thing that I've learned from talking to people in the clinic and just through life experiences itself. Mm -hmm. Your parents are always right is basically what I'm saying. (laughs) Listen to your parents. (laughs) 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 They know things. They live longer than you. (laughs) Okay, very good. Very good. Okay, so um, any sort of online web um, resources that you can maybe recommend for our audience where they could go to learn more about either this study or just general health advice, scientific-based for patients with pain. Um, What's your favorites for that? Absolutely. So, of course, my personal favorites would have to be our lab's website. So that's impactlab.com. Another great place is UAB has recently launched the Pain Collective uh, group, which is a bunch of graduate students, undergraduate students, and then pain researchers here at UAB who all share the same goal of understand pain and then look at treatment and addiction as well. And so you can actually find that on UAB's website, but we also have a Twitter handle that we post on regularly. And we often will post, you know, our own research as well as, you know, cool things that we've we've learned throughout the world. And that's just at P-A-I-N-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E at Pain Collective. My personal Twitter is just my name, Laura Strath, and I post scientific things all the time as well as some funny things because laughter is the best medicine in my opinion. But my other personal favorites would have to be the ISP Twitter. Twitter is a great place because you can see things very briefly and if it catches your eye, you can click on it and read more. So I would recommend those those ones. Okay, well, thank you so much, Laura. It was fantastic to have you today to share your research and also your inspiration about how we can actually deal with pain through diet, which is a very mm-hmm. novel concept that I've been asked in the past to write, you know, blog posts on. And yeah. you know, it's been wonderful to meet people who are actually studying this and give us scientific updates as well as um, overall advice on this field. So, again, many thanks, and uh, we'll maybe have you on the show again. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. It was very fun. Okay. Thank you. And we'll have a great day. Bye now. Bye for now.